Let's take our Bibles and turn to first, uh, Second Peter chapter 1 for just a moment. Second Peter chapter 1. I wonder how many of you know that song, The Bible Stands. Raise your hand if you know that song. Well, quite a few of you do. It's an old-fashioned song. It's been not in our hymn books the last couple of generations. Uh, I always like to sing it every once in a while, especially when we're preaching about the Bible, because the, the words there are, are true and the Bible stands. And so we'll be preaching about that today as we look at Second Peter chapter, uh, chapter 1, and then we're going to go back to Second Timothy in just a moment. Second Peter chapter 1. And verses uh, 19 to 21 says this. So we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by the act of the human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Now go back to Second Timothy chapter and we'll be looking at this passage for a bit and putting these two passages together we have some wonderful truth about God's word all scriptures inspired by God verse 16 and is profitable for reproof for correction for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate equipped for every good work the American Bible Society just released a startling a survey just uh, about a month ago it claimed that Bible reading in America has dropped dramatically uh, in 2022, and it's unclear why. They don't have any reason why this happened, but roughly 50% of Americans, uh, American adults anyway, re were reported reading the scriptures at least three times a year from 2011 to 2021. In 2022, that number declined to 39%. That means in numbers, Six, 26 million Americans stopped reading the Bible last year. And even more startling, as you think about the statistic, they collect, they're talking about Bible readers being people that crack the Bible open three times a year. Not three times a month, three times a week, three times a day, three times a year, that's their Bible readers. And 26 million people quit doing that. What an amazing thing. No wonder we're in a famine for the Word of God in, in our country. No wonder we're in a, in a free fall uh, doctrinally, biblically, and in our lives as well as people rapidly move away from the Word of God. But more than that, the LifeWay uh, survey of 2022 that we've been looking at for the last four weeks asked this question. The Bible contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but it's not literally true. And of evangelicals, 15% agreed in 2020 that the Bible was largely myths. In 2022, it's 26%. Almost double in two years. People have now believing the Bible is largely myths. So that brings us to the all-important question as people drop away from the reading of the Scriptures and having their lives based on the Scriptures. The big question is, so what? Does it matter that you read the Bible? Does it matter that the Bible is part of your life? I mean, you might say, I'm doing just fine without it. My life is ticking along pretty well. I'm not having any particular problems. I'm better morally than most people around me, or whatever you might say. Do I really need to be involved with the Word of God, the Scriptures? That's a question. 
Now, for some of you that might have that idea that you can get by without reading the Bible, or without in, being instructed in the Bible, without engaging in the Bible, for those that might think that way today, and I hope there's not a lot of you, but for those that might think that way today, I want to give a challenge to you today concerning the Word of God. Every, and we're going to look today what every Christian must know about the Bible. This is our fourth in our series about what every Christian must know about. And now we're going to look at the Bible as, as with all the subjects we've looked at so far, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, we are going to have to limit our time to something here. What do we got here? Can't see you. Can't see me. <laughs> Marcia gets to see me all the time. That just shows how good looking I am, right? <laughs> do I hear any amen here? Are, are, we, are we now done? All right. Well, that's a new one. Okay. Okay, let's start over. In 20... <laughs> okay. Okay, we're going we're gonna to have to limit our discussion to, a, to a, just three things today, three truths about the Bible that every Christian must know. Number one, it is the very Word of God. We say that all the time, but I want to really focus on that right now. It is the very Word of God. In our passage in, in 2 Timothy, it said, All Scripture is inspired by God. That word inspired, as most of you know, simply means to breathe or to breathe out. The Word of God is the, is the, is the Scriptures are the breath of God. It's breathed out by, by God Himself. It's God's direct communication uh, to you and I. In the Old Testament alone, uh, the uh, different ones that spoke in the Old Testament, over 3,800 times they said they were speaking God's Word or speaking for God. So this is not just limited to a few passages. It's all over the scriptures. Uh, we must also know that God chooses men to be instruments to write the word. That's what we looked at in 2 Peter chapter 1. But, but the Bible is not the words of men. They are the instruments that God uses to write these words down for us. But they write in such a way that it is what God wants us to know. Charles Ryrie, and if you have the notes, if you picked up the notes this morning or if you got the manuscripts I gave a quote by Charles Ryrie that uh, can, I don't think has ever been uh, bettered. He says this, Inspiration is God superintending of human authors so that using their own individual personalities, they composed and recorded without error in the words of the original autographs or the original manuscripts, his revelation to men. In other words, inspiration means the Holy Spirit of God superintended human authors to write down exactly what he wanted written down for us. It's not the words of men. It's not made up by people. It's the word of God. He used people as his instruments. So I want you to think for a few moments about the wonder of the word of God. Just, just list off a few things for you. The Bible was written over a period of 1,500 years by 40 different authors written in three different languages who lived at different times and in different places, and yet there are no contradictions in the Bible, and it has the same central theme from beginning to end. It contains hundreds of prophecies that have already been fulfilled, and hundreds of more that will be fulfilled in the future. It was written during pagan and superstitious times, and yet no hint of superstition or paganism is found in the scriptures. And if you want to compare that, Compare that to the writings of people uh, of ancient times such as Homer, the Greek philosophers, the uh, Greek and Roman and Norse myths, 
and you'll see the great contrast between the Word of God and all these other things that, that's written at some, uh, somewhat the same time. Although many have tried to destroy the Bible, nobody's ever succeeded and never will. God's promised that. And it's thriving throughout the world today. It, that it depicts reality as perfect. I mean, perfectly depicts reality, let's put it that way. This really came home to me when I was about 18, 19 years old. And I went away to, to a secular university. And my faith was challenged in a way by, that had never been challenged before. The professors tried to undermine the, the Bible and, and Christianity. Um, the, my peers, my, my fellow students did the same thing. I got very little support. I didn't have a strong church to go to there like I'd grown up with. And I had to determine myself whether this is something I really believed. How did I, my parents had taught me about the scriptures and, and my church had done so. And, and, but what about me? I mean, do I really believe this stuff? And I began to analyze that the first semester of, of college. And one of the things that brought me around that really did the trick for me was to realize just how accurately the scriptures depict life. It shows us what's reality. It shows us the, 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 the power and the awfulness of sin. It tells us of the consequences of sin. It leads us in a, in a path that nobody else will lead us in. And all these things started to come together in my mind to realize the Bible is absolutely perfect in what it depicts about the human condition and, and the human life and my life as well. It offers eternal salvation apart from any human effort, something no other religion does in the world. There's no book, no resource like the Bible. And yet, someone has said the average Christian has not renounced the Bible, but they've stopped using it as the structure which makes sense of the world and of their lives. And that's sadly true of too many. Far too many do not read the Bible or engage in the Bible. And what, you know what? Then they wonder, why is it my life is so messed up? Why am I neurotic? Why, why am I so anxious? Why am I so un unhappy with the circumstances of life? Why does everything tick me off? Why am I angry? Why am I struggling? And yet they haven't opened the Word of God to show the answers that God has on all those kinds of issues. And so the first thing we need to realize is we're not looking at a book that was written by some people in ancient times. It is a book that has been given to us by God Himself handed down generation after generation. It hasn't changed in all these years, and it never will. It is God's Word, God's communication to you and I. So that's the first thing every Christian needs to know. I, I assume most of you believe that, but maybe not everybody. Maybe you're struggling with that. But the issue is, are you allowing the Word of God to do what the Word of God should be doing in your life? Now secondly, the second thing that every Christian should know about the Bible is that it is the only source of absolute truth. In John 17, 17, which you don't need to turn to, just one line from Jesus' prayer there, he's praying for his disciples, and he says this to the Father in John 17, 17, he says, sanctify them, that is, set them apart in the truth. Your word is truth. It is the only source of absolute truth that is in existence in this world. Now truth has fallen out on hard times these days. When asked, I just read this statistic to you, I'll repeat it, when asked at the State of Theology survey if evangelicals believe the Bible contains the accounts of ancient myths rather than God's truth, 
then 26% believes it does, up from 15%, which means in two years, that statistic has almost doubled. In two years, those who claim to be evangelicals have lost faith in the, re the truthfulness of the Word of God. What's going on here? What is going on? It seems to me that the pandemic did far more damage to the spiritual lives of people than the physical lives. During those two years when people couldn't go anywhere and do anything, many of them, they didn't, instead of reading the Bible just because you're bored, if nothing else, they turned against the Bible, stopped opening the Bible, and stopped believing the messages that they were reading. We're in free fall, folks. We're in free fall. It's because we do not believe in the truthfulness of God's Word. There's another question on that survey. It says, religious belief is a matter of personal opinion. It is not about objective truth. That was the question. 38% of evangelicals agreed, up from 23% two years before. In other words, the, our faith, Christianity, is becoming more subjective every year. Instead of it being a, a faith based upon the truth of God's Word, it's being based upon our own subjectivity, our own feelings, our own selves. We determine truth. We determine what's right and what's wrong. It's all about me and my subjectivity, myself. And that's increasing, apparently, year after year after year, so that very few people are now turning, even evangelicals, are turning to the Bible as a source of truth. Most people don't know what they don't know. And that's a great quote. You got that? Most people don't know what they don't know. And here's a list of a few things you could never know apart from Scripture. Let's go back to our text to Scripture, verse 15. You, you could never know your need for salvation apart from Scripture. Look at verse 15. And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Without the scriptures telling you so, you would not know of your own sinfulness. You would not know of your own need for salvation. But secondly, following that up, you would not know the means of salvation. Notice Timothy was taught as a child what salvation was about by his mother and grandmother. And that, and that wisdom leads to salvation in Christ. What a joy to have these two young ladies today who were raised in Christian homes, who were taught from childhood the truth of God's Word and about salvation, who followed the Lord in baptism today. What a joy that was, because, but they would have never had known that they needed to be saved. And they would have never have known how to be saved if it wasn't for the Word of God that told them these things. Thirdly, as a Christian, it would be only through the Scriptures that we could know all sorts of things. Look at verse 16. Once you're saved, all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable, first of all, for teaching. That is, the Bible is a book of instruction. It tells us what, what we need to know about God. It tells us what we need to know about ourselves. It tells us what we need to know about the world and sin and righteousness and, and all the aspects, all the facets of life. The Word of God is the instruction manual that He gives us for those very things. It tells us what is wrong also for reproof. Who sets the standard of morality? Who sets the standard for right or wrong? Who tells us that something's right and something's wrong? God's Word does because it's the inspired Word of God Himself. But it doesn't leave us 
with wrong things, it corrects us. For correction, what, what is wrong? It shows us the right path. It tells us how to turn away from wrong things, to correct our wrong living, our, our wrong lifestyle, our wrong, our wrong thinking. And then it also develops patterns in our lives. It's for training in righteousness. If you are into the Word on a regular basis, your, your whole pattern of thinking begins to change. Your, your lifestyle begins to change. And patterns are very important in our lives because those patterns or those habits, if, if we don't have them, it makes it very difficult to, to uh, make those decisions on the spot. But if we have those patterns, then, these, then reading the Word of God and living out the Word of God becomes more and more second nature. It's just part of what we do and how important that is. Verse 17, it says, it equips us for every good work. That's what the Word of God does, equip us. The word equip, as I've mentioned before, is a word in the Bible times that meant to, to set a bone that was broken or to mend a net that had a hole in it. That's what the Word of God does. You have holes in your life and they need mending. You have wounds that need to be healed. You have, uh, the crooked needs to be straightened, the, the confused need to be directed, the lost need to be found. How is all that going to happen? Only through the Word of God, which he says is adequate to equip us for what? Every good work. The Word of God is sufficient. It doesn't need supplements. It doesn't need the wisdom of human beings. The Word of God is sufficient for us to live out the life that God wants us to live. And often as I watch people fumble through life, and as a pastor I have a front row seat of seeing a lot of that, as I, as I watch people fumbling through life, it's often in the very simple things of life, uh, whether it's balancing their checkbook or dealing with the, the struggles of life or the work conflicts or whatever they might be, I often think it, the Bible has answers for those things. The Bible will direct us on those things. You know, just a healthy diet. Folks, if you say, I, I'd like to do some of this, but I don't know how, start with Proverbs. A healthy diet of reading the Proverbs would solve massive amount of problems in most people's lives because it's practical wisdom given by God on how to live in a broken world. Move on to the Psalms. Don't start with Leviticus. If you do that, you won't get very far. Start with the Proverbs. Read the Psalms. Add, a, add an epistle here and a gospel there. Move through the Bible. Don't, don't try to race through it. Let it touch your life and change your life. And it will do so. Let me add a few more things to the list I've already given you. Without Scripture, you cannot know with certainty how you even got here or where you're going. You cannot know the truth about anything for sure. You cannot know what is wrong with this world in general, why we can do such great things and then turn around and do such awful things. You cannot really know there is a God, or at least a true God. You can look in the nature and see some evidence of God. It's right there for us according to, to Romans chapter 1 and Psalm, uh, Psalm 19, but you cannot know the true God without the Scriptures. You cannot know who Jesus is. Who in the world is Jesus? Don't watch PBS. Don't watch some of these history channels that will try to tell you who Jesus is. You'll be totally confused. But go to the Word of God and you'll find out who Jesus Christ is as He is representing the, uh, the whole Trinity and the understanding of who the God, the Father is as well. You cannot possibly know uh, what He has done or what He's going to do. You cannot know anything about the person and work of the Holy Spirit that we talked about last time. 
You cannot, have a, you cannot understand the reason for the church. Why does the church exist? We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. And you cannot know what life is about, or how to live life, or, or how the world will end and what will replace it. You cannot know where you will spend eternity. Shut your Bibles up, folks, and you will not know anything about the spiritual world. You will not know anything about the future. You will not know anything about yourself. You will not know anything about God. You will not know anything about forgiveness. You will not know anything about salvation. You will not know anything about eternity. You will not know how to live on this planet if you shut the Bible. That's how important the Word of God is. And so it is the Word of God. It's the first thing you must know as a Christian. It is God's Word, not ours. Secondly, it's the only source of absolute truth. And then thirdly, it changes your life. Now I want you to go to Psalm 19 for that. It changes your life. Here we're given at the latter half of this chapter descriptions about the Word of God. The first six verses of Psalm 19 talks about general revelation. The revelation we see in nature uh, that does point to God. And we see evidence of God in general revelation. But starting with verse 7, he begins to talk to us about specific revelation, the Word of God. And I can think of no other place in the Bible that's so clear and wonderful as this. We've gone over this, of course, many times over the years. But if you're used to it, I hope this refreshes you in your thinking. If you're not used to it, I hope it challenges you and changes you in your view of the Scriptures. But let's take a look together at six descriptions of the Word of God in this psalm, and each is broken down into three parts. There's a title, there's a depiction, and then what the Word actually accomplishes in our lives. Let's start with verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The first word for the Scriptures is law. That is the word Hebrew word Torah, which means instruction. One of the primary purposes of God's Word, as we've already mentioned, is to instruct us in truth and how to live it. That instruction, he says, is perfect. It doesn't need to be supplemented. There's no flaws. There's no errors in it. It is perfect. It was without any flaw. And what does it accomplish? It restores the soul. Why is it that so many people, so many Christians, have broken down souls? What were they tripped through life with their heads down and sad and, and miserable, just living, the, just going through life, hoping that someday they'll get out of here? Why, why, are, why are Christians like that? Folks, Christians should not be like that on a normal basis. We have our sorrows and griefs that are unusual, but, but for the normal basis, the Word of God should be restoring your soul, fixing your soul, mending your soul. That's what it does. It changes us. It turns us from sin. It feeds us and enriches us. It teaches us how to have a right relationship with God. Our souls are broken down because of sin. And, re and they're restored through God and His Word. And we're restored to Him, to others, and to ourselves. Second title is Testimonies. The testimonies of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Testimonies is God's witness to His own truth. God has gone on record saying, I testify that this is my Word. And as I testify of that, it is sure. You don't have to question it. Perhaps one of the problems as we went through the pandemic situation, there's so many people saying so many things, we didn't know who to believe about anything. But there's one place you could have gone every day 
and know for sure that it was accurate and true, and that is the Word of God. His testimonies are true, and they are sure, and they are never wrong. And then he goes on to say, they make wise the simple. You want to be, you want to be wise? You don't have to get a PhD. You don't have to be a brilliant student. But you can be a student of the Word of God. It makes wise the simple person. The third word is precepts, verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The divine, uh, the precepts, these are the, the divine directions or appointments of God. Scriptures are pointing us in a direction. They are always on target. They're right. It's a large GPS, if you want to call it that, which never is wrong. Now, my GPS in my car is wrong sometimes. I was coming home from Nebraska just a couple weeks ago, and I was going along just fine, my GPS telling me how to get there, and suddenly I went on some back road of dirt and rock and stuff, and I could just picture that little lady inside my GPS laughing. <laughs> uh, she said, see, I got you, didn't I? Yeah, I tricked you. I took you on this old dirty road. Your car got all messed up. And finally, about a half an hour later, I got back on the right road. She got me back. But she had a fun time in the meanwhile. God's GPS never does that. It never leads us on a wrong road. It never takes us on a detour. It's always leading us in the right direction. And it rejoices the heart. It brings rejoicing in our heart. You know, when we're lost, we're not happy. We're lost in a city somewhere and can't find our way out. We're unhappy. We're lost in the back roads of Nebraska. And believe me, there's not a whole lot of places to stop and eat in Nebraska. Uh, they're, they're, you're not happy. And so, it, it, but if you have the sure word of God directing you, you find rejoicing of the heart. So let me just pick on you a bit. How much rejoicing have you done lately? Or is your heart rejoicing over what God is doing in your lives? and the changes He's made, the great provisions that are ours? I hope so. I hope the majority of you can say today, for the most part, of course we have some hard times, but for the most part, I'm rejoicing, not necessarily in what I see in the world around me, but I'm rejoicing in what I have in Christ, and what I have in His Word, that every day I can sit down and open this Word and see that which brings joy to my heart. That should be the life of the child of God. Fourth, the title is the commandments. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. We know what commandments are. That doesn't need explanation. But often we think of God's commandments as being prohibitions, as being things that, uh, that we, or God tells us you can't do, or maybe things that God says you can do. But he's using the word commandment here as something that we should rejoice in. Because often we, if we think we have to do something, if somebody's telling us to do something, we push back. Don't tell me to do that. And yet that's not the attitude we should have. I think of Psalm 119, verse 47, where David said, I delight in your commandments, which I love. If you have the attitude that God's commandments are given to us for our good, to safeguard us from all sorts of trouble, to lead us in the paths of righteousness and joy, then we're going to fall in love with the commandments of God. And so David said that's where he was. They give us insight. They tell us what's, how to live. The fifth title is fear. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. 
The fear of the Lord is, is, is clean. We talked about the fear of the Lord recently. There's no, there's no smudges. There's no foul spots. The fear of the Lord is that which we're, we're coming to the place of great, uh, uh, recognizing the great majesty and the wonder and the all of God. And that's the fear of the Lord. It's, it's clean. It, it's never polluted. It's never, it's never sour. You ever go to, the, to a refrigerator to get some food out and maybe you want some cheese or something and you look at it and it's all moldy? You know, you're looking forward to some good stuff and it's been there way too long and it's, it's, you can't eat it. It's, it's bad. It's polluted. Just this week, I came Friday to work, forgot my lunch, so I went scarfing around and see if the refrigerators had anything left over. Sometimes there's things there for a long time. It's, they're, take, they're growing legs and hair and stuff. So, but our, our deaconess has been on it pretty good lately, and we haven't had a lot of that. But I was looking for just one thing. And I did, lo and behold, the Lord provided manna from heaven. It was actually a Chick-fil-A sandwich. And, and there it stood, all I, little lonesome. The only thing in the refrigerator, I looked at it and said, wow, I wonder how long it's been in there. So I, I kind of open it up, smell it, and look around. Nothing was growing. Nothing was moving. And I thought, wow, I've got myself some, something here. And I started to go out of the room, and somebody came in and said, uh, I said, well, I found this. It wasn't yours, was it? And she said, no, it's not mine. I said, well, I'm going to go eat it. I don't know how old it is. And I, I said, come looking for me in about 30 minutes. If I'm on the floor, uh, you know I probably shouldn't have eaten that. So I went back to my room and enjoyed a Chick-fil-A sandwich, only to find out Half an hour later, it was Linda Kessner's lunch. <laughs> so, uh, but it was good, Linda. It was a very good sandwich, and uh, I appreciated it. And uh, in order to, to not feel, make her go home and say bad things about me, I gave her my last sugar daddy. Yeah. And she, she and I like sugar daddies. We may be the only two people in the world. But, uh, so I, I made a, amends there a little bit. I say all that to say, look, you, you look at life... Is it polluted? Are you chasing out of things that are polluted? Not the fear of God. Not the word of God. It's never gone sour. It's not, never gone bad. It's always pure. It's always clean. It always leads us in the right way so that we endure forever. We don't have to stumble. We don't have to fall through life because the Lord has taken care of us with his word. And then finally, judgments. The judgments of the Lord are true. They're righteous altogether. Judgments are verdicts. God is like the judge passing a verdict. But in the Lord's case, his verdicts are always right, always true. He is not intimidated by anyone. He's not swayed by, bad, by weird arguments. Uh, he's not outmaneuvered by slick lawyers. His verdicts are always accurate and true. Nobody impresses God. Nobody intimidates God. And therefore, they're righteous altogether. They're always right. You never have to come to the Word of God and say, well, I wonder if that's true. You have to interpret it. You have to study it. But you never have to say, well, I wonder if that's really true. In context, it is true. And so the Word of God is kind of like a track through the woods. You ever, maybe some of you walk through a woods and you're not sure where you are and you see a little trail and you start following it, you realize it's a deer trail. Deers have made a trail through the woods. And you follow that trail and it leads you somewhere. The Word of God is that trail through the woods of life. Where the, where the, we don't know where we are. We're surrounded by all sorts of stuff. But there's a pathway through. And we're given that map of that pathway through the Word of God. How wonderful it is. Then, then in chapter 19, starting with verse 10, he begins to apply 
all these truths to our lives. And in, in light of the great value of Scripture, uh, the psalmist wants to make these applications and some requests to the Lord along the way as well. First of all, he recognizes the desirability of the Word of God. Verse 10. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. The Word of God is desirable. You know, when a person sees something that is desirable, you don't have to make them do go after it. If they fall in love with somebody, they, they go after that person. They, they're, if they're impressed with something, they chase after it. In this case, he mentions gold and honey. Uh, the, the whole world is enamored by riches. You follow the money, they say. Wherever the money is, the people are. People are enamored. by. It. They desire riches and they chase after it. What an empty pursuit. On the other hand, he mentions honey here. Honey is this one of the sweetest things possible, especially in the old days. And they have the, if you have a hunger for that honey, you chase after it. Last night, Marsha and I were in bed just about to go to sleep, and she says, Hmm, I, I, I can hardly wait to get up tomorrow morning and have an English muffin with butter and honey. Hmm. And I said, Man, your, your desires are, are kind of anemic there. I mean, I can think of bacon and eggs and hash browns, and, but honey. And a, first thing she did this morning, got up and made a, made a toast with honey. She desired it. She wanted it. She went after it. She ate it. Okay? Well, that's what the Word of God should be for us. If we desire it, we chase after it. We want it. We consume it. No one has to make us go after it. Secondly, it serves as a protection to us in verse 11. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. Oh, if only we'd pay attention to the Word of God and what He says about so many issues, how our lives would be set free from so many sins and so many problems, and so many complications. Sin complicates life, folks. And the scriptures warn us about those things to keep us on the right track and keep us from going over the, over the edge in the wrong direction. It guards us from sin. D.L. Moody, or somebody, I heard different people are supposed to have this quote, but I think D.L. Moody made this quote. It, it goes like this. This book, the Bible will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. I've seen a lot of people write that in the front of their Bibles. When, uh, when you leave your Bible here at church, which most of you seem to do twice a week, and when we find your Bible here, we open it up to see if you have a name on it, which you never do, and there's hardly ever a name, but there's often little quotes and stuff, and I've seen that in a lot of Bibles, uh, even here, and it's a good one, you might want to write it in beside your name. This, this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. There's a lot of truth in that statement. Thirdly, there's great reward through the Word of God. The same verse, in keeping them, there's great reward. This is the counter to protection. The Word of God not only protects us from going the wrong direction, it rewards us when we do go the right direction. John Newton said we should read God's Word not like an attorney, but like an heir. An attorney reads a will because that's his job. He's an, he's an official. If you knew you were going to get money from that will, you would pay attention. What a difference. And then fourth, he recognizes the power of the Word of God in verses 12 and 13. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of, faults, of, of hidden faults. Also keep track. Uh, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. 
Let them not rule over me, then I will be blameless and I'll be acquitted of great transgressions. David knew something of the power of sin in his life. He, as we all know, he messed up pretty big. And he knows that. And he cries out to God in this particular psalm, Lord, don't let me do that again. Don't let me go that direction. Keep me from, from these things. I want the power of your word to protect me and help me through these things. Sin, we should keep short accounts of sin. Someone has said, if sin is like trash, it should be taken out regularly. And then finally, he recognizes that his communication is to be acceptable to God. Verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This psalm ends where it began. In verse 1, he, he, he's talking about the communication of the heavens that reveal the glory of God. And he ends the psalm by saying he wants his communication with God to be honorable to God, both verbally and inwardly. Let the words of my mouth, he says, let the meditations of what I think about, my heart, be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I read once of a young lady who got a poem from a friend, a guy. She didn't think much of it. It wasn't much of a poem. She read it, put it down. Later on, she fell in love with him and reread the poem. It made all the difference in the world. If you love the poet, it changes the poem. If you love the word, it changes how you approach, how you desire, how you live out the Word of God. Fall in love with Jesus Christ. Fall in love with the, what the Lord has done for you. Fall in love with His Word. And all these things He speaks of in Psalm 19 should be part of the life that you live. These are, these are some of the things that every Christian must know about the Word of God. Father, we thank You now for this time in Your Word. Lord, we're looking at the Word all the time as we come together. It never grows old. It's always instructive. It's always fresh. Lord, I pray today that, that these things we've talked about will touch the hearts of each of us, wherever we are, and draw us closer to you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.